Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Rewatchability. It's a show where we rewatch old movies and see if they hold up in a contemporary context. Sometimes TV shows. Yeah, that's right. I'm Robert LaRonde. With me, as always, is... Blaine Waters. And... J.M. McNabb. And we have a special guest returning, Graham Isidore. Hi, how are you guys? Hey, Graham. Yeah, thanks for coming on. How are you? <laughs> that seemed like a shocking thing to say at the beginning of a conversation. How are you? It was because you were drinking coffee at the same time, so it was like we were at your dining table or something. It's a weird ventriloquist thing I can do. <laughs> yeah, we've been drinking coffee on the podcast, and every time I do this, I feel like Regis <laughs> we're doing the show. Huge! <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be your Kathy Lee for the day. It'll be great. Um, <laughs> I thought you were more of a Kelly. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, we have a great movie to talk about, High Fidelity. Before we get into that, first we want to thank our sponsor. Andy Mattress and Hello Fresh. Check them out if you need a place to sleep or something to eat. <laughs> or both. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hopefully. It's, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. <laughs> and we also want to thank our Patreon subscribers. So those are the people who give us one, three, five, fifteen dollars a month. They help us and we give them back rewards like sometimes there's exclusive content, they get the podcast early, nudie picks. <laughs> no, not nudie no, picks. No. We have a well, that was, that was one week. time by mistake. So <laughs> Yeah, so if you're interested in donating a little bit, you can go there and check us out. Yeah, patreon.com slash rewatchability. Yeah, there's a button on our website, too. Mm -hmm. We're here to talk about High Fidelity, one of the top five movies. (laughs) Maybe, I would say, of my life. Oh, really? Really? Top five? Well, I don't know. Maybe Maybe. in like an emotional way. Okay. Wow. Wow, but we'll get into that. Blaine, when was the first time you saw this movie? In university, I, I saw it on video, and I remember... Really liking it and feeling like it was kind of a gateway drug into other uh, movies and music and pop culture in a way right. that this was the movie that understood. Because I came from Kingston and there wasn't a lot of you guys are Torontonians or you are, James. Yeah. And Graham, you're from Toronto? I grew up in Niagara Falls. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. So close. close. Yeah. You should have had you on for Canadian bacon a couple yeah. of weeks I know. Ago. I know a lot about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Fun fact, if I can spoil for a second. Uh, if you look really closely, I, like me and my family are in the extras in the hockey scene. Oh, really? Yeah. What, Shit, honestly? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were like, we were all really little and then we went down and, and, and saw it. It was a big event for the whole city. We really should have had you on for that, especially because our guest on that episode was John Cusack. Oh, we really yeah. should yeah. book this yeah, should have done it the other yeah. way around. Well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I really loved this movie when it came out and thought it was really innovative, like with the listing and stuff, but I was in university, so what did I know? What about you, Rob? When did you first see it? I think I saw it on DVD, like probably just in, when I was in university. And, you know, I, I thought it, it just... It really, uh, it hit a lot of sweet spots for me. Like, I really liked music, even though, like, I didn't know half the bands that they were talking about. Just, like, music in general and, like, the way that music sort of, like, connects with our lives and also how we project all of our sort of aspirations and romantic hopes onto it or through it as a conduit. Anyway. Mm. Yeah, yeah uh, that's amazing. Yeah. And you were, like, really into, like, death metal, like, heavy metal? I was in the metal, not, like, death metal. Okay. Uh, necessarily. There's no face paint involved in the No, metal, no, no, no. But, 
but in Northern Ontario, where I'm from, we didn't have like we had like a record store in the mall, mm-hmm. and then the other place to buy CDs, and it was only CDs, was Walmart or Kmart oh, or God. Zellers, yeah, or like a truck stop with like with those rotating stands. But that was like only Conway Twitty. <laughs> so just like. The idea of working in a record store, like a real record store, where you could like play whatever you wanted, where you could like criticize other people's music choices, which sucked. <laughs> I mean, that was like the dream. Were, was the record store in the mall at all similar to the one in the film? Like, was the mall one cool? No, no. <laughs> was it like Sunrise or like? Was it even like H-M-B? Empire Records level? No, it was like a mall record store. Okay. It, like, I never bought anything from it, except for one time I bought a Jerry Cantrell solo record because I felt bad that this other customer was sort of harassing the clerk. <laughs> Wait, you Wait, that? Can Vengeance we unpack that for a second? Yeah. What? Why? What? Well, I thought if I bought this record, which was a great record, by the way, <laughs> right? then she would have to serve me and this guy would just go away. Oh, oh I okay. thought she was mad about, like, what was the artist again? Jerry Cantrell, he played... Guitar for Alice in Chains. Oh, sorry, I didn't piece that together. You know what? I don't throw the word hero around lightly. <laughs> but I just Rob- what what I thought was that like someone was really mad about Jerry Cantrell. <laughs> I, like at the counter and right. you're like no they're terrible you shouldn't like them and you were like hey listen I'm gonna hey man he's one. got some good riffs and yeah. you know maybe if more people would harass customer service employees they might just save physical media yeah, yeah that's right yeah that's right so there's the PSA well I did my you. part anyway so what about you Jam I saw, saw this movie in the theater of course on the big screen which is the only way to know who cares but yeah no I really like this movie I mean I was young I was still in high school so I hadn't really had the uh, the life experience I think to really appreciate you know mm-hmm. what this movie is trying to say but what did resonate with me was I uh, collected vinyl in high school. Hmm. So the depiction of the <laughs> snobbish weirdos who run record stores was eerily accurate to the type of people I had to deal with on a regular basis. Especially like I went to a lot of uh, not just the record stores, but like the record sort of conventions where you'd get, Whoa. you know, Ooh. basically like an airport hotel ballroom full of people with their milk crates full of records. And it was totally, yeah, you totally got the Jack Black types, the, you know, shy introverted types, yeah. um, all those kinds of guys. I remember a guy who I think my dad kind of knew. My dad told me the story about how he, someone found a record in one of his crates, like a 45 that was four bucks and he went oh wow i've been looking for this 45 forever would you take two bucks for it and the guy sort of looked at it then snapped it in half and said i take two for this <laughs> whoa really so that's the kind of that's the kind of person you're dealing with yeah, <laughs> yeah. final record shows so yeah so that part really rang true for me and i liked it a lot but yeah i think having a bit more perspective is a, is a good thing for this movie which we'll get into i'm sure for sure mm-hmm. yeah okay what about you graham so i was i think i was in Seventh grade when I saw it for the first time, oh. it was uh, we we it was like the family movie watching thing. So my dad was like, "Hey, this seemed cool," and he brought it home. And yeah, it was one of those things where like I immediately at that age you're kind of shaping your identity, right? It's like yeah. before you really have an identity of your own. So I knew I liked music a lot. I knew that I was into kind of like some underground bands. I like listening to like the late night radio shows and finding out about you know these these bands that other people might not have. Um, heard of yet that was something that i really was kind of like drawing towards and then when i saw like these characters i was like oh these are the the cool archetype guys i want to be like so it's like i feel like you know indirectly well maybe just directly so much of my personality kind of becomes shaped by like john cusack's character kind of Mm -hmm. in the film which in retrospect is terrifying (laughs) uh you know rewatching it like here was like oh my god but like i remember like i went out and i read he casually mentions the unbearable lightness of being in like the film yeah he's like i've read love in the time of cholera and the bearable lightness of being and i'm like oh and i went and read those books like over the summer and then like did you read uh, cash by johnny cash i did read cash <laughs> by johnny cash yeah the kinder is the only one i think that holds up as well of those three but anyways yeah it's like everything that was kind of in that movie i was like oh i want to identify like this which is hilarious and terrifying in, in a lot of different Lisa ways Bonet briefly yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep um 
Yeah, we're, I'm not supposed to talk about that on, on air. <laughs> we should mention also that you're a writer and you write a lot about music. Yeah, I worked as a music journalist for many, many years. I still do. I'm generally on the culture side right now at Vice, but I work for Noisy uh, occasionally as a freelancer there too. So, so you're kind of the Natasha Gregson Wagner character. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever yeah. have people making you mixtapes or handsome record store? I'm, I mean, um, no, I don't. But I'm, I'm supposed to yes and these things. So uh, <laughs> that was a bad comment. No, just kill it. Just, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things where it was just like I, I had so much of my personality, I think, was shaped by, you know, those those kind of pivotal moments. So this was one of those big, big films for me. So yeah. it's interesting to kind of look back now. I think it's also like it's kind of a romantic comedy, but like a yeah. dude's romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. The other thing I forgot to mention is I had a roommate who I maybe I'm exaggerating this, but he would show it to every girl that he brought home Ooh. and they would consequently leave right after yeah. that. Yeah, should, well, though. yeah, I know. It's like that's <laughs> yeah. me. It's like okay. I tried to fine. get a girl who broke up with me to read it afterwards. Um, she didn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's how I lost that copy of High Fidelity. <laughs> so uh, it was okay because I had another one on my shelf. Wow, this was uh, yeah, yeah. That the play Rob and I met at a playwrights unit, and the play that I was like writing at the time was like my answer at twenty four to High Fidelity. Oh. Um, I see it. Which was like mostly unreadable at that point too. <laughs> so, I mean, like this character, we'll get into the plot, but the movie opens with the character wondering if his romantic yeah. failures are to blame for because of pop music. Yeah. Do you think all of your romantic failures are because of the movie High Fidelity? Mm. <laughs> yeah. And impotent, but <laughs> those two things combined. I think it's really high fidelity. Yeah, I now think it's I, probably high fidelity. You know, yeah. really think about I it. I have not seen high fidelity. It would be much harder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Do you want to run down the plot of the movie? Sure do. So it starts with Rob Gordon. He is this sort of mopey record store owner. It starts off, he's listening to a record and he asks this question, am I miserable because I listen to pop music or do I listen to pop music because I'm miserable or vice versa? Mm -hmm. I can't remember. (laughs) He's listening to the 13th floor elevators. Yeah. Very obscure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I like how we're getting snobby about the fake snobs in this movie. (laughs) But it turns out that he's in the sort of middle of his breakup. His girlfriend, Laura, is about to leave. And he says she doesn't have to leave, but she's going to leave. They've had the fight. It's been decided. And she's going. And he says, you know, he's not even really that broken up about it because it's not even really in his top five breakups of all time mm-hmm. so and we don't know why they broke up they really bury that lead to like halfway through the movie yeah and that's yeah. right it's all we're just sort of getting we're getting like the sort of fly on the wall mm-hmm. perspective except he's speaking right at the camera yeah mm-hmm. he's speaking right at the camera in in like the tradition of like kind of annie hall like that was kind of voiceover right uh, mm-hmm. where, and and yeah. kind of spoken to the camera as well yeah, yeah. sure yeah yeah well so like a dude romantic comedy is all i'm saying that's like a structure for one yeah, so he... It's also a little, yeah, Ferris Bueller did that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Groucho Marx did it once. I talk to myself all the time. <laughs> but, so he talks about some of these, like, top five breakups that, you know, really hurt him. And the first one was, like, the first girl he kissed. And, like, two days later, she was making out with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And then the second person was, like, this girl, Penny, who, like, you know, wouldn't let him touch her breasts and all that yeah. stuff. We're not getting a really nice picture of this person. Like, when I watched it when younger, I was like, I kind of get it. Like, this guy's going through a hard time. But watching it now, this guy is such an asshole from the start. Well, it's also interesting to kind of see how, you know, this film, like, I still feel like I relate to it probably more than I want to admit. But how this film is, like, aged in terms of, like, cultural criticism as well. Mm -hmm. So it's just, like, I think that the, the type of, like, ah, you know, I couldn't grab a tit. She's not worth my time type thing sort of could be laughed off sort of in the 90s. And now with like the culture being what it is, seems less and less acceptable. But I yeah. think the movie's so aware of itself though, that it, it, it works for me still. Like I yeah. don't, I don't think that lines or that, you know, storyline that we'll get into is, is meant to be laughed off necessarily. No, no. but like, I, I think that like it, it was just because he knows he's being an asshole at the beginning. Like I think people seem more excusable of it. Than, than I think to now. But yeah. this is probably a bigger thing before right. we get into plot stuff. So, yeah, he owns this record store. He's got these two sort of loser employees. There's Dick, who's the shy one, who's like, you know, pretty nice. Uh, and then there's Jack Black, yeah. who is, what's his name? Jack Black. 
<laughs> Barry. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he's the record snob. He like antagonizes all of the customers, antagonizes Barry and Dick, mm-hmm. antagonizes everybody. Uh, oh, he's and- Barry. Oh, yeah. Rob. Rob. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I should be able to remember that. (laughs) Yeah, and I didn't think that that actor had done anything else, but he's been in so many TV shows and, like, bit parts throughout the dick. I thought you were talking about Jack Black for a second. Yeah, Yeah, he's apparently a musician, too. It's crazy. Uh, No, The uh, the guy, Dick, he also wrote the Michael Fassbender Macbeth movie. He wrote it? Yeah, I mean, Shakespeare Shakespeare did first. Yeah. (laughs) Shakespeare with Dick from yeah, Life. Yeah, Do you think there's yeah. some good Bell yeah. and Sebastian songs in Will and Beth? Yeah. <laughs> or Scottish. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> We're not supposed to mention the Scottish bands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he talks about his third and perhaps like his biggest heartbreak, mm-hmm. Charlie Nichols, who was like this like quirky, like sort of you know yeah, but artist like, type, like uber confident and yeah, yeah, yeah. and elegant, he, and ma- and she made him feel like he wasn't good in bed. Yeah. I gave him throat cancer. <laughs> what, are we ready, Michael to, Douglas. are we ready to laugh about that? I am. Oh, man. I was already always ready to laugh about that. Yes. Yeah, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. in that scene, he, he's like, I just felt like a, like an imposter. And she turns around putting on a shirt and it's the Pretenders shirt. Yeah. And I was I like that that touch. That's anyway. entrapment. <laughs> she that She's too. playing both sides. <laughs> And then the fourth one is the person that he gets together after her. And this is Lily Taylor. And they got together because they were mutually miserable. And it sort of makes sense. But then she left him. Yeah, I I love that she leaves him because they're so miserable together. And she's like, no, I'm happy now. Bye. And I love that so much. That is so Lily Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) What else? He tells his mom. He has like this conversation with his mom, tells her that Laura's left. That's really yeah, sad. Yeah, that's another one of my favorite moments in the movie because he's like, Laura left. And then she just starts weeping. And he's yeah. like, what about me, mom? And she's like, I don't care about you. Laura was good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it was in there. <laughs> <laughs> but so there's this uh, musician that everybody in the record store likes, Marita Sal. And they invite him to go and see her play. And he does. Mm-hmm. And this is Lisa Bonet. Right. And she plays a Frampton song and manages to make it not suck, which (laughs) would make any man fall in love instantly. (laughs) And she comes into the store later and like they have her record playing at the moment. He's like has the insert uh, with the face out. Yeah, it's pretty funny. And like you can tell that there's an attraction there between them. There's something going on. But he's just found out from Joan Cusack Mm -hmm. not playing his sister. Not playing his sister, but so good. I love Joan Cusack. Yeah, it is weird that they're in so many movies together not playing siblings. It was a package deal. Do you think when they, (laughs) you know, when those characters socialize, they're ever like, we kind of look and sound a little alike, don't you think? (laughs) It's like we came from the same two people. (laughs) Yeah, she could have easily been his sister in this movie, too. Like, there's no, there's nothing stopping that. Yeah, Yeah, that could be. Um, yeah. 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 She's great. I love Joan Cusack. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Arguably the better Cusack. Oh. Yeah. Well, we will argue then. That's yeah. great. She's never made a Edgar Allan Poe movie. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. Or that one where he teaches Hitler how to paint. Oh, uh, Max. Yeah. 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 I kind of like that movie, actually. Was it good? It was all right. Huh. Wait, he teaches Hitler how to paint? Yeah. yeah what? What? Got got what? <laughs> it was called, I think it was called Max with him and Noah Taylor. I think it's called Hitler Learns the Paint. Yeah, it was like about Hitler's art dealer or something. <laughs> yeah. It was like and this has Triumph of the Will meets Bob Ross's show. <laughs> <laughs> and this has nothing to do with like the Edgar Allan Poe movie as well. No, no, this is just another weird John Cusack movie. <laughs> yeah, he's been in a lot of good movies. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of bad ones. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So he decides that he's going to go and track down all the people who have broken up with him and mm-hmm. broken his heart and ask why, like what's wrong with him that mm-hmm. you know, he can just be thrown over so easy for somebody else. Yeah. yeah. So he starts by like going through his old uh, stuff and finding like the number for the girl that he made out with when he was like eight mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he comes to this conclusion at, with uh, a wonderful Bruce Springsteen. Oh, yes. Cameo. Yeah. Which I think we have to talk about. Yeah. Let's just take a minute to talk about Bruce Springsteen's cameo, because this is the most memorable thing from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> now, apparently it was supposed to be Dylan. Yeah. In the scripts. Yeah. They Well, they wanted to get either Dylan or Springfield, but they're not going to get fucking Dylan. <laughs> Come on. Rick Springfield? 
sorry. Springsteen. Oh, okay, yeah. That makes more sense. <laughs> there was like a whole list. Huey yeah. Lewis, <laughs> Kenny Loggins. We're either going to get Tom Waits or Air Supply. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's always a wonderful cameo. It's hilarious. Yeah. Well, it's like the, the Springsteen songs, it does kind of, I think the reason I like the, the film and the novel and stuff is because it does kind of feel like a Springsteen song in some ways too. Like it's that self-referential thing yeah. that kind of happens there. He does it well. I don't know why I'm trying to point this out. I well, feel it, like. I, yeah, I think it doesn't even really make sense with Dylan. Like, I no, think, yeah, the, the Dylan, so much better with Yeah, like the Dylan stuff, it's like you get, you know, a maze of your own confusion. And yeah. then maybe at the end of it, you kind of come out with, with something poetic on the Is other that side. <laughs> um, but like with the Springsteen stuff, it's just like, yeah, it's basically just like one story he tells yeah. about how he's a carpenter. Rob Golden works in a record store and he's got five breakups and it really hurts. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty Springsteen, Yeah, right? and it's always just that, that's <laughs> That's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, the saxophone with the storytelling of Springsteen songs works out perfectly. But yeah, I don't know. It was just like that narrative. I love that little cameo. Yeah, great. I didn't even like Bruce Springsteen at the time. And I was like... Do you like him now? Yeah, of course. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, after you hear uh, Nebraska, right? Right. Yeah. Which is on the soundtrack, one of the songs from Nebraska, isn't it? The that- river is on it. Oh, it's the river. Okay, that's because I feel like that's probably was part of Springsteen's deal. It's like I'll do the cameo, but I want some of that sweet residual money on the soundtrack. <laughs> Can I write a song for this? Yeah, <laughs> like just when they're both sad, he walks out in the river. Like he turns on the river and plays, and it's when he's talking to Lily Taylor's character, right. he's wearing a Bauhaus T-shirt. And I remember like both of those things being like, I was like, what is that? What is that symbol on that guy's T-shirt? And then what is this song? And I immediately like frantically. Googled, or I think it was, I asked, I asked Jeeves, um, uh, what he downloaded some MP3s from Napster. Yeah, it was Kazaa at that point, but. (laughs) Oh, and yeah, Springsteen will do songs for movies because he wrote that song for Harry Potter. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Harry Potter lives under the stairs. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the the wrestler, like, I'm not even an apologist. I'm like, I really love Springsteen, but the song on the wrestler is not very good. No. At the end of that. Have you ever seen a one eyed dog? Yeah, you do. That's Mickey Rock. Yeah, that's a little on the nose. Yeah. But like, if you think about Springsteen's lyrics in general, it's like, he's so earnest, and I love his tracks, but like, he's not. Are really like it's the the vibe of the thing makes it. He's not a really good poet. I'm sure you listened to that Bruce Springsteen on What the Fuck interview. Yeah, wow, that was so good. Did you listen to that? I did. Oh man, I loved when he was talking about his like lack of confidence. Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, totally. Anyway, made me feel better about my own crippling insecurities. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is Thanks, why boss. we all love high fidelity guys because <laughs> um, um, of Bruce Springsteen okay so and then what happens the movie. so he starts going up to all his old girlfriends yeah, the so top for, five breakups he, he calls the the first one and he gets mm-hmm. the mom mm-hmm. and he's like so you probably you, you might not know this but I was her first boyfriend and, and she's like well I hate to quibble but she married her first boyfriend and he's like no I mean we went out for three days in the first grade and she's like ah no I'm sure you didn't and then just hangs up on him that was pathetic. <laughs> no, and then he, that makes him feel better because he realizes that it was it was fate, it was kismet that she yeah. would that she didn't you know he was rejected because no, he's, he sucks. It was well, because uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Number two, he goes to see uh, Penny again. Mm-hmm. He makes a date with her, and she's like a film critic. She probably has like a podcast. We should get her on sometime. <laughs> <laughs> but so they go see a movie, and then they uh, go out for uh, dinner or drinks or whatever, and he asks her like why she broke up with him and she's like you broke up with me mm-hmm. and he says you didn't want to have sex with me and she was like yeah i didn't want to have sex with you when i was 16 mm-hmm. because she wasn't ready and and his dickishness gave her such like made her feel so bad that she ended up having a bad situation with somebody else yeah and the guy kind of forced himself on her and she didn't say no but it was kind of rape anyway that was yeah. a horrible scene because then mm-hmm. she like traipses out of the restaurant and he goes I'm absolved. And it's kind of supposed to be like a, but, a funny moment. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's so hard to laugh at that now. Yeah, but I it's, know. I don't know. Cause I think, I think it almost works better now. Now that we're kind of more acclimatized yeah. culturally to, to, uh, Point out how awful, yeah. Like, is is pointing out we should know how awful the original like opening narration when he's talking about it was, but maybe we didn't see that because we're seeing it through through his perspective. And I think that joke is such a like I'm a piece of shit 
moment. Maybe the maybe the yeah. biggest piece of shit because he goes like, "Check, please." But like, it's almost yeah. over the top. How how silly. But for me, it was and like awful. He is. It was like too far, yeah. you know. And I think that's that's because of like cultural education. And I, I I don't know. Like after that, I was like, I just can't like him well, or want. I don't think him. you're supposed to. You're, you're yeah. not supposed to. But I think you're supposed to at least want him to change. But at that point, I was like, fuck him. Like I didn't really. I mean, it really. I don't know. It kind of hurt the character in my mind tr- too much. It's true that like he's. It was definitely, he's an asshole for sure. Yeah. But I also think that like, he's like a really, I mean, he's a character who's like full of flaws and, and like he was a a shitty person when he was a young person Mm -hmm. and he's a shitty person for maybe not having the self-awareness to realize what a shitty person is when we realize it. Basic empathy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, but he's on a journey, yeah. and I understand that this is his arc, right? Like he's an unlikable character. But I think it's also they're showing that everybody has like their like relationship trauma, and that's like some right. really bad trauma, and the consequences like they can't really be addressed in this movie. Well, there's right, a line yeah. in the fair. in the book where they're talking about too, where it's just like he says like uh, after they go down, we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but he talks about the things why Laura broke up with them. Where in the book they talk about like, he's like, hey, I know if you're reading this, you're probably judging me, but I want you to think about the worst thing you've ever done to a partner. Write it down, especially if they don't know it. And he's like, okay, now who's the asshole? And like, that's how that chapter ends. And right. so it's like, there's a weird, it's it's so funny because it's just like, I think you would see like John Cusack becomes an avatar for so many, you know, sad yeah. young men in a lot of ways. <laughs> um <laughs> But, like, there's so many different things that, like, I think looking at now, as opposed to, like, the first time I saw it, it's interesting to kind of see the flaws in there. Yeah. And whether, like, so do you think he was still, he wasn't likable to you after that? It was just, it was really, it was really difficult. Yeah, he, I mean, he wasn't likable, for sure. I don't think he was likable to begin with. But after that, it was almost like, could I like him mm-hmm. after that display? And, you know, in the end, it leaves it kind of like, well, we'll talk about it, but like it left me with like a really good feeling. So it was successful in that. But the yeah, I mean, I grappled with it. I, I'm, I'm going to say for like kind of the rest of the movie, that that moment anyway. I almost yeah. wanted him to succeed in the movie because of the people around him, as opposed to like, I like this guy. I want him to grow. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. yeah. I felt bad for Laura because she <laughs> loved him in spite of these horrible. Right. Like qualities. you just want someone to be like a good to Helen Hunt and as good as it gets. You know, that's mm. why you want him to change. I- I hate that movie. <laughs> but yeah. I think this movie is so like uh, there was a piece someone wrote a couple of years ago on Huffington Post where she interviewed Stephen Frears and was was very much had these things on her mind like has oh, this movie great. aged well yeah and and Stephen Frears was saying you know like I knew a lot of people a lot of men like this and he's like you know in a lot of ways I was probably like this when I was in my mid twenties so I think I think what you were saying about the book passage mm-hmm. about yeah a lot of guys are awful and selfish and have all these terrible qualities. And we don't see that in movies necessarily because we want them to be likable. Yeah. And I think the fact that this (laughs) movie is really delving into this in a really self-aware way is something I liked seeing. I mean, we just talked about multiplicity a few weeks ago, which was a movie ostensibly about men yeah. But it's about how men are being victimized by mm. oh, yeah. their and wives the and society. Yeah. And this sure. is kind of the opposite of that. You know, Harold Ramos was supposed to be in this movie. Yeah, he played uh, John Cusack's dad. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a break. We'll return to our discussion of high fidelity in one moment. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome back to Rewatchability. We're here, of course, with Graham Isidore. Hello. Hi. Hi. (laughs) And we're talking about high fidelity. So I think we're at like number two of the breakups. Or do you need another bathroom break? (laughs) (laughs) I was holding it through the ad. (laughs) So he he doesn't go to see number three right away because Mm -hmm. it's like it's too meaningful to him. So he goes and sees Zeta Jones. Yeah. 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 So he goes to see Lily Taylor first. 
and they go for drinks and he's kind of an asshole to her too yeah. <laughs> yes he's an asshole yeah yeah he's a big asshole Wait, you yeah. thought he was an asshole to her in that moment well kind well i mean he's kind of nice but he's he's basically like i guess There's- she wants him back yeah. uh, she asks if he's if he's seeing anybody and when she and he says he's not she gets really hopeful mm-hmm. and it seems like there's a moment where he's like uh, after the date dropping her off at her apartment and she's like lingering in the doorway as he walks away speaking to the camera. Yeah. He um, talks about how good it is to like reject someone after being rejected. Yeah. Walking down the hall. But she's basically, she said that she's had a hard time mm-hmm. of, of things lately. And then he's like, Oh, I'm out of here. Yeah. yeah. And also there's something inherently selfish about just this action of going through, like reentering For these sure. women's lives just to absolve himself of, of any kind of well, negative. This is so funny to me because I think this is one of the only like moments in the film where I think he's really sympathetic. Yeah. Because like, I think at this moment it's like where it's like not sleeping with somebody who you could sleep with because you ultimately know it's going to be a bad situation for both of you is like a hard thing to, yeah. to do as a human. A Some lot heroes of time. don't wear capes. Um, <laughs> uh, but also it's just like it's the recognition that to try to be like kind to her but also just like but not mess up the life further when he ultimately knows that he doesn't want to be with her it's true mm-hmm. like I, I get what you guys mean where it was just like oh you know she was reaching out this he had olive branch to her and then she was reaching out but she's kind of in this lonely desperate place yeah. and so it's just like I think that like had he like it's pretty clear that he doesn't yeah. want to but be with her but maybe she just needed to get laid he does uh, yeah. he does provide context favor, after more to, your, more to your point right yeah. about the, the whole Rocky thing yeah yes. yeah so it's just that's so interesting to me though because for a moment I was like yeah that's the I think one of the only times in this film where I'm really like oh I can be on this guy's side here because right. mm. he Treated the, like her like a basic human. <laughs> you know, I, I guess I, did, I didn't feel it. I just saw him like he was just like I have what I need. I'm gonna leave. Yeah. You know well, what I mean? Like I because didn't... he's been doing that to everyone all the way through. It seems like he has momentum that way because all these relationships are transactional, and he goes to see them and gets what he needs and doesn't give them anything in return. Like not even sympathy or empathy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But this one, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying about that. Like, he doesn't want to sleep with, like, the lonely girl because that will only hurt her more. Yeah, know? I mean, like, I guess the whole act of seeking out the exes in some ways is is definitely selfish, but I can understand it. Mm-hmm. I, I proposed as an article, and they told me it was a bad idea at work. <laughs> <laughs> Good but, movie, though. Yeah, uh, they're like, solid movie. Don't do that to so yourself we, in real yeah, life. Yeah, it'd make a fine article, but for yeah, you, yeah. don't want to see you go My there. My editor was actually very and smart the, and the women. for me there. Also. Yeah, yeah. He was like liable. We're talking we can't liable put people again. through that. Wait till you're like Bill Murray's age, and then yeah, be charming. Yeah, that'll be charming. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's an interesting thing. I was like, would, do you guys? I mean, I know we still have to get through more plot stuff, but is that something you'd be interested in doing with any of your exes? I'm like, like mostly that was in like I, you guys just took all of the air out of the room. Yeah, was, like, like, we have a special guest for you. <laughs> yeah, oh, shit. Oh, number one, her in. Yeah. <laughs> number five. This ghost of girlfriends past. Yeah. <laughs> you dated her in university. You still owe her three thousand dollars. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, OSAP. We didn't talk about the shitty things that. Rob did to Laura. Like, he, yeah. he borrowed a lot of money from her yeah. <laughs> after she got an abortion. Yeah. Well, after, so they're still yeah. sort of seeing... She's coming back to the apartment to grab her stuff, and he also discovers that she's sleeping with this Ian guy. Tim mm. Robbins. Yeah. And... Tim Robbins is so hilarious in that role. <laughs> it's one of the best parts of the yeah, movie for me. He's great. But Joan Cusack was initially on his side, mm-hmm. but... Laura apparently told her these four things, which is that he cheated on her while she was pregnant. He owes her a bunch of money and something else. He's and the pregnancy was terminated due to his cheating. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And he was kind of sort of maybe looking around for someone else. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. I don't care how many boomboxes or Peter Gabriel songs you have. That's not going to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> Lily Taylor was in Say Anything, too, right? Oh, maybe. Was she? Yeah, I think she's the guitar girl. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, she was. So that was like an interesting kind of pop-up cameo, I thought, from that. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Call I back about of the that. thing. Huh. I met her at the Tenement Museum in New York. I said, I'll enjoy your acting. And she said, thank you. It was a good experience. Wait, you, you walked <laughs> away and you're like, I could have had sex back then. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh, no, sorry, yeah. nothing. <laughs> she was with her children. It seemed inappropriate. Um, <laughs> but that's only her side of the story. Like... There's his side of the story, too, where, like, he yeah. doesn't think that he was looking for somebody else. That was, like, a hypothetical question that she asked. He didn't she know that him. she was yeah. pregnant. And I can't remember what the cheating thing was. 
No, he just cheated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no excusing that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But he does give a little bit more context to it, for sure. And then we have those, like, uh, kids who steal the records. Yeah. They're we kind have- of punk teens that want to, like, make their own music. Yeah. Yeah. He goes to see, finally, number three, Catherine Zeta-Jones. She calls him up and is like, are you in or are you out? Because <laughs> if you're going through one of these, going back through old girlfriends to find out why they broke up with you, like, sad sack thing. I just watched High Fidelity, and that's what they did in that movie. <laughs> yeah. like, what? I was going to say, didn't her husband do a movie where he's like a ghost guiding Matthew McConaughey through his ex-girlfriends? <laughs> so, you know, people in glass houses, Catherine Zeta-Jones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so he goes to this dinner party, mm-hmm. and... After it, he just decides that she's awful and he doesn't like her. Yeah, he finally kind of sees through his own crush and yeah. sees the person that she actually decides is. that she's self-centered. She only talks about herself. She doesn't care yeah. about any other people. And that's a moment that hit. Like I remember that moment in high school with a girl, just like thinking she was she was so much, and then like actually seeing how she treated people, and I was like, oh, you're you are awful. But my point is, they're perfect for each other. Oh yeah, they are kind of perfect for each other. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So they eventually, Laura and him sort of, well, they get back together. And the way that they get back together is that her dad passes away very suddenly and she calls him to go to the funeral. So they go to the funeral. It's awkward Mm -hmm. because everybody hates him. And then he eventually leaves. Well, (laughs) one of my favorite jokes, though, is when he gets the call. (laughs) Jack Black says, top five songs about death. Death, a Laura's dad tribute list. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Tell Laura I love her. It's a good song, yeah. Wreck of the Emin Fitzgerald. Yeah. Lear the Peck. (laughs) (laughs) But so he goes... And and he has a good line that is like one of those movie lines where it synthesizes everything he wants to say into one thing. And he says, I'm sorry to her for like the loss of her dad, but also for everything he did to his relationship. It's a it's a good little moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and he runs into the rain. Runs into the rain. <laughs> yeah. Oh, also a good line before that is Joan Cusack is talking to him and he says, how many times do I have to apologize? And she says, just the once would do. <laughs> yeah. Prompting that. Good line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a great good, line. Good Cusack scene. Yeah. Cusack on Cusack action. And way to look up <laughs> your little brother. That sounds horrible. Yeah, that didn't sound <laughs> yeah. good. <laughs> no. <laughs> Different movie. But so Laura comes after him and they go into his, her car and have sex yeah because she just wants to feel something and it's right. either that or putting her hand in the fire yeah or like fight club <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they just sort of get back together they sort of decide to sort of try to work it out but this is like before the end of the movie and you think like them getting back together is going to be the end yeah of the like movie. that's so but there's like 20 more minutes and or 10 more minutes and it's like this is gonna fail he's gonna fuck it up somehow and yeah. it, that that feeling the movie was so successful in that. I really like it. Well, he starts it. to fuck it up. Yeah. Like this attractive music critic or whatever mm-hmm. starts talking to him and he offers mm-hmm. to make her a mixtape. Yeah. And mixtapes, you know, like that's his like secret weapon. Like mm-hmm. that's how men in the 90s and the early 2000s, those were their weapons to get women. They were yeah. the swords. Did you, did you make a mixtape for anyone? Yeah. Hell yeah, yeah I made mixtapes. Yeah? Yeah, for that's my awesome. high school girlfriend. But I mean, I like so much like heavy metal. I'd like try to sneak in like some Iron Maiden <laughs> on there. <laughs> that's like you're showing women high fidelity. Yeah. It's like this <laughs> like, one's kind of starts soft and right. then starts to rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then it comes back. So we you're like the number other. of the beast. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> did you guys do that? Did you guys make mixtapes? I did. Yeah. yeah. I did the mix CD thing because the tape right. was a little bit, uh, I was a little bit after the tapes thing, but yeah, I had done that. That's I, the I only way to do it off vinyl though. So yeah. It's hard to do on CD. Yeah. And so it's just like, it's uh, what a, what a stupid gesture. <laughs> what? It, it's not because it's just for you. Like it's like you're not doing it for the other person, really. Well, yeah, that's it's true. just yeah. like and the expectation that like how the only thing worse is like earnestly singing a song on the acoustic guitar to somebody. It's like it's it's like it's not <laughs> Wait, that's bad. Yeah, that's bad too, sure. Rob. <laughs> it's like uh, Put that away. Um, but it's like yeah, it's it's funny those impotent like gestures of of romance that you throw towards well, someone. I don't know. I'm going to disagree. Because I think when I was younger, when this movie was sort of coming out, like this was a before the internet and before music was so accessible. So like you only had like 
one or two or three CDs, really. I mean, that's all I had because I didn't have a CD store. (laughs) And there weren't that many harassers (laughs) when I went in. But so, like, when you gave somebody music, I mean, when people gave me music, I listened to it. I made mixtapes for my then-girlfriend, and I think she listened to them. And she made mixtapes for me, and I listened to them. Yeah. I mean, on them. Yeah, when I started uh, dating my fiancé, we both made, uh, like, our favorite song mixtape for the other person so that we know what the other person liked. You just started dating her, like... In the 21st century. Though. I know, I know. She made like this online playlists, like track list for YouTube videos. And you that just was, like, gave her that Blink 182 CD. And, That's <laughs> and not I a gave her Dude tape, Ranch. Yeah. It's, a play, it's a curated playlist. Yeah, yeah that she made online for me. But that's the same as a mixtape. No, it's I'd not. Say. It's not the same. Because when you're making the mixtape, you have to like listen to the songs, unless you have like high speed dubbing. Then you get to listen to the songs with chipmunk noises. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but I, th- I think there's like still a place for the, the mix of your your favorite music. Do to kids like, do that still anymore? I don't know. There was a joke on the Hard Times the other day, which is one of the sites I write for, where it was the 16-year-old had made a mixtape for his girlfriend, and she'll never know how he feels because she doesn't have a gazette <laughs> tape deck. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I, okay. So does the physical action of having to actually make the tape mean it means it's worth more? Yeah, I think so. Because well, it's like just writing, more effort. Writing the track list down. And sometimes, like, I remember doing mixtapes where you, like, kind of write down why you put that on the CD for them kind of thing. Yeah. Like, there was intentionality behind it, I'd say, more than just, like, putting tracks for, like, a like a road trip mix. Well, you got to get the flow, too. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to, like, yeah, say everything that you need to say. Yeah. I also <laughs> wonder about, you mentioned, Baby, like, I love your way. <laughs> you know, like, doing this in the pre-internet era, if there's also an element like a broad this kind of broader idea of just record snobs being proprietary about music or music knowledge i wonder if that's kind of fallen by the wayside just because like i remember i went to like a video store in toronto that's kind of known for being a bit snobby in terms of its employees blockbuster yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) or at least that had been my experience in the past and i went there and rented something and it was someone younger and it was totally not that it was like wow i've never seen this movie have you seen this movie by the same director that's like that kind of thing the culture's changed yeah and i wonder if the internet has done that because there was a thing i read the other day where it's just because geek culture has become so ubiquitous like that like everybody you don't have to struggle for that knowledge anymore yeah we all know that what is it return of the jedi is the best Star Wars because it says so on Wikipedia and there's 800 articles to tell you about it. I don't think it actually says that. <laughs> um, I was like, you check Wikipedia. I think a lot it's of people a- think that's the worst one. <laughs> but also oh, we have uh, so much... Wait, isn't that the second one in the... Empire. Empire, Empire. yeah. Oh, sorry. Man. I just, you know, um, I don't want people to throw rocks at our podcast. Yeah. So maybe the snobbery isn't dead is what you're trying to tell me right well, now. Not it exists room, here. In this room. <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? Like, Empire is the best one. Everybody knows that. Except for me, apparently. But it's the just, one without the teddy bears. Yeah. But just because that knowledge is kind of out there in, in the world and then it's easy to figure out that kind of information about music in the same way because it's all there yeah. in a way that's way easier than actually having to take the effort to go buy the album and reckon with it yourself yeah like yeah, yeah how can you be like snobby about having some obscure record if it's like on YouTube yeah, yeah. you can listen to literally anything any obscure record so there's no like cachet to it yeah, yeah. there's no record more obscure than some of my records and I've got <laughs> lots of copies of those yeah well it's just like there's a de- uh, like a democratization of that in some ways too where it was just like I don't need a record store person to tell me those things because I can check out any album I want on Spotify pretty much Yeah, you know like more or less so it, it takes some real effort to kind of get snobbery but I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing I think it makes it more disposable in some ways too in the yeah. same way that kind of like a mixtape took a like you know regardless of my feelings about them a mixtape actually took some effort and you had to go and choose those songs and you had to go through and like physically listen to them and physically hand them something that they had to do those things whereas opposed to and no disrespect to your fiance but like that the youtube list is much easier to do than that it just seems like she doesn't love you yeah Yeah, uh you know no physical media no love Um, yeah what about is rob making a toast at your wedding (laughs) (laughs) what about physical media do you guys still like collect records you buy things no I know you buy records. Yeah, you had a record a couple of hours ago. (laughs) Which one? VU, the Velvet Underground uh, outtake compilation. Nice. Oh my God, you are high fidelity. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really not. No, no, not at all. Yeah, that doesn't have Who Who Loves the Sun and... uh, Oh, Sweet Nothing. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I take back my statement. This soundtrack is, uh, is really great. It makes some moments that 
I think wouldn't have worked really. It really sells them. Like that moment after the funeral where John Cusack realizes he's a jerk for the first time and kind of confesses to the camera is a really on the nose moment that might not have worked, but it's got that great Dylan song in the background. Yeah. One of my favorite songs. And and there's a lot of moments where, where the soundtrack really kicks in and is, is, you know, a a real key element of the movie. I think, Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't have a movie about record snobs and have a shitty soundtrack. That would be terrible. No, Mm-hmm. I mean, Empire Records didn't have a great soundtrack, did it? Well, we didn't like that movie that much, did we? No. I don't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> Are there other movies about record stores? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Hmm. Graham? Uh, not that I know of. No. There was an interesting thing I read. Uh, I was doing some, just kind of checking in online with some opinions about this and wanted to see the temperament of the thing where Nick Hornby, the guy who wrote the novel, talked about how like these dudes don't really exist anymore in the same fashion too. Right. Just because like the record store thing doesn't like there's not really record stores i mean there is in this city yeah but like well i don't know i don't i don't know if that's true i think that there are record stores now because records i think records are more popular now than they were in 2000 when high fidelity came yeah, out that's probably yeah, true. For sure. like there was a big story because the toronto public library got records they okay. bought all these records like a hundred records like Am I wrong, or did libraries always have fucking records? <laughs> Just nobody wanted to fucking listen to them. Yeah, they exactly. probably got those hundred records at like another library sale. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, even oh, um, good Herb Albert's Tijuana Brass. <laughs> I've seen this before. <laughs> but even like uh, small towns in Northern Ontario have like record stores where, mm-hmm. like, yeah, like people. I guess people who like really enjoy music can go and you know buy records. Maybe not everybody's doing it, but everybody gets a record player for Christmas. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) No, records definitely had a resurgence. I think you're right. I think they're more popular now than when this movie was made. Whether that'll stay the case, I don't know. Yeah, There just seems to be so much stuff closing around that, though, too. Like, there's, I mean, a lot of record stores, I think, have closed. At least, you know, in the hometown stuff, there isn't. Like, in Niagara Falls, where I grew up, there, I don't think there is one anymore, not even at the Mm. mall. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's like I think the specialty shops, like the the stuff again that kind of can kind of exist here, but the the kind of big market of that stuff has kind of gone away in a little bit too. So yeah, I think it's yeah. still there, kind of like if you're searching and looking for it. But it's kind of a I, I don't know. I, do you guys feel like this film is anachronistic at all? Because of that specifically? Well, I mean, just in general. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I mean, the, like you know, general like. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily misogyny, but like the, his perspective is pretty like backwards. But I don't know. Again, I think it's so self-aware about yeah. that. I think it's, I think it's a movie about a guy who has a lot of issues with misogyny. But I think also like, that's like a snapshot of like a particular era of like male. And I'm not saying that that doesn't still exist or it doesn't exist in like a different form, but like that particular guy, like people were so angry in the early 2000s. And the now, angst, like, yeah. I think that there's a lot more, like, empathy, and th- that's not to say there isn't, like, anger and hatred as well, but, like, people generally want other people to be nice to people. And back in the day, it was kind of great to be mean to people. Like, that was sort of, like, if you were mean to somebody and you, you were, were cool. funny about it, then yeah. that was great. Like, mm-hmm. so the record store snob, that was celebrated. Yeah, I think it's also easier to take meanness when... When you have the teen angst, when you have that like young 20 thing um, yeah, going on. And now as I'm older, I, I don't like mean comedians anymore. I don't like yeah. comedians that like make fun of people. You're glad Don Rickles is dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also like relationships, like I've been through way more relationships at this point, having seen this movie again, I can like definitely like empathize and feel bad for the characters yeah. who get sort of like shit on by well, John Cusack. And, and to, and to your point earlier, when you asked like, do you want to go back and talk to the exes yeah. that, that you had? We don't have to, cause we have Facebook now. Oh, like, yeah. That's the thing. Like we were so in contact with everyone that we have our answers or questions answered kind of through social media. You're right. You know, I know everything that their... my exes do. <laughs> yeah. I just, I deleted all of them immediately after breaking up, but that's, you know, different people, I guess. I guess the the bigger question I I, I would kind of ask with this, and I think it kind of gets addressed a little bit at the end of the film, but it's like, do you guys think that, like, that self-awareness is enough? Do you think he's actually trying to lead to self-improvement there? Because we talked a lot about, like, him getting a pass because he knows he's being a dick, but I don't know if that's enough. Like, if you're not Mm -hmm. actively trying to, like, for a long time, I thought that that was enough for me, but I was like, if I'm not actually trying to improve myself or avoiding being a dick 
then why should I get a pass for that? Well, because I, I know. I think that he he does go through a maturing. Uh, I think that he learns to like actually care for his partner and what they want as a person. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, with the last mixtape too, like putting songs on it that she would like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's what that's supposed to indicate. Yeah. So I think that there's a ch- some change. I think he will probably be a better person. I don't know if he'll be a great person. I don't know if his like relationship will end up like prospering or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think that like it seems like he's learned something. I also in that piece in the Huffington Post, it kind of said something along the lines of, you know, is this another movie like we've seen a lot recently about like the selfish man child? They didn't say Judd Apatow, but I'm imagining mm-hmm. like a Judd mm-hmm. Apatow type thing. And I. Thinking about that, I think it's way different. Again, it's just so self-aware. Like, if you think about a movie like Knocked Up, where, like, the character, how it shows the character maturing is, like, by giving up all of his dreams and moving and doing all of these things because, you know, that's what women want. Whereas this, it was almost like, you know, she didn't want any of that. If anything, like, she just wants him to be, like, more himself. Yeah. Like, she encouraged him to... Yeah, like, pursue something that would actually make him happy or progress in like life. Like his top five jobs, that was a like, mm-hmm. really instructive scene. Where, yeah, yeah, uh, that's a great yeah. scene. Yeah, and I, I really love that actress and that character. In yeah. This movie. yeah, I've never yeah. seen her in anything else. Yeah, she's think. she's Danish. That, there you go. Yeah. Right, yeah. and we should talk briefly about Jack Black because I don't think I'd really seen him in very much. No, uh, no, maybe it's the just Jackal like his breakout stuff. <laughs> yeah, 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 that episode of X Files. And like, obviously, like, yeah. yeah. And the Mister Show, right? He was in the Mister Show with Tenacious D. Yeah, but if yeah. you if you didn't know Tenacious D, which I don't yeah. think I did at the time, that oh, okay. reveal at the end that he's a good singer oh, is amazing. Was amazing. Mm-hmm. It still is amazing, yeah. even though, like, because he can really sing. Like that was yeah. really great. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was hanging out Largo with like Elliot Smith and Amy Mann and stuff all around that time period too. Like that's where Tanisha D got their chops. Mm-hmm. So it was a uh-huh. weird combination between like the, the stand up comics that were going on and the music scene that was happening in LA at that time period. Yeah. But yeah, it's a uh, Jack black, man. I was like, he's also been in a lot of crummy stuff, but I've got a soft spot for him for sure. Yeah. yeah I, I like him. You his, know. his Instagram is amazing. Cause he just plays a song and then sing like mouth sings to it. It's, <laughs> it's so great. It's so great. Yeah. No, I like it. Yeah, yeah, I found him entertaining. School of Rock. That's a good one. Yeah. I don't know if it's a good one. What? I don't remember liking well, that movie. Is that we Jim Jarmusch? show about it. No, it's, no, it's uh, uh, Mike White. Why did I say Jim well, Jarmusch? Mike White wrote it. It's, uh, oh. you know, what's the, the guy who wrote Linklater directed it. Linklater, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, I don't know. I thought Maybe that was I'll have Jim Jarmusch for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, Linklater. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, they, the last thing is she helps him, or she... And his friends put on this like record release party for the these little kids, uh, <laughs> for, little kids for the punk kids whose record he's releasing. And it seems like he's sort of moving on up. Mm-hmm. Things are going to be okay. And that's yeah. And he's because he's finally tested again at the end with that uh, the reviewer girl, and he doesn't go for it. Yeah, yeah. but she still mm-hmm. comes to the show. <laughs> yeah. So that's good. Yeah. High fidelity. <laughs> that's high fidelity. So did yeah. you guys? Did you? Did it work for you? I don't know. What really? I mean, lot, parts of it really did. I it's. I think that there's a lot in there that I really like and I really relate to, even if I don't necessarily want to relate to it. I have some calls to make after this podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we haven't even mentioned it, that, that it was directed by the great Stephen Frears. Right. Who's, you know, wonderful. One of the best directors. Yeah. I don't know if I've just maybe seen this movie too much, but I don't know if it's that inert to me like I found it sort of like really the the pace really holds I, I didn't remember the pace holding up as well as it did upon this yeah. watching because it, it really tracks along very well because of the the direct camera talking I felt okay yeah you're right guys it's great <laughs> it was just kind of interesting to watch something that was so like seminal for me when I yeah. was younger and then coming from the perspective where I was like oh this person wasn't someone to be revered in the first place right so I mean, yeah, yeah. so it was like yeah. that was a very interesting kind of moment to realize that like I'm I'm getting closer to the age that he is in, is in the film and like thinking for so long where it's just like oh yeah all those that the asshole behavior or you know like that uh, the the likability of the kind of the, the angsty nihilism that sort of like kind of associated a lot of his things stop being it's still funny to me I almost feel but like it's almost like a endearing feel sorry thing rather than this thing where it's just like oh yeah yeah that's me yeah it's like maybe it's the worst parts of you and I think in in terms of examining that kind of like shittiness and selfishness and misogyny I think it's more interesting in a movie like this where 
you might be mistaken for thinking he's the cool guy. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the characters in this movie probably think, oh, he's just a nice, cool guy. Mm-hmm. But yeah. if all of these kind of things are under the surface, I think that's really interesting to to see. Like, did you guys see uh, Colossal? No. No, I really want to. Okay. It's, yeah, it's really great, but it's also like... It's like Jason Sudeikis, you know, you start to realize, oh, this guy might have some issues, but he seems like such a cool guy at first. Right. It's a similar kind of thing, I think. It's everyday awfulness right. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that might get overlooked. I don't know. I, and again, like, you know, I don't think he's necessarily an unredeemable character. I think by the end that you do kind of like him. Yeah. And I think a lot of movies, like all the screenwriting books you'll read, they're all like talking about character likability and likability is a big thing in screenwriting. And this character isn't likable. And there are a lot of characters that aren't likable in really successful movies uh, because we we can recognize, we can watch someone who's awful and recognize that they're awful and still watch them. I think. I mean, I I, I do really like him though. I, I just maybe it's despite those flaws. It was just like or or maybe it's just because I you know John Cusack is a very. It'd be interesting yeah. to see this if this was not John Cusack. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Paul Giamatti. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it's, yeah. I hate him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I. I'd actually watch the shit out of that version of High Fidelity, <laughs> Paul Giamatti's High Fidelity. But like, yeah, it's um, ah, the characters that when you have the same flaws as the character, a lot of the time, I think it's easier to jump in in some ways. But I get where you're like, where he's not. I don't think he's sp- supposed to be likable, but I think no. you can be tricked when you're younger for that. In the oh, same absolutely. way that yeah, you yeah. can think that like Bukowski's cool. I just wanted to work in a record store. Yeah. Well, and that's what movies are great at is making us empathize with like made up things on screen. And I think that's what this movie does really well is make us empathize with this character that might be a big jerk. Well, if it makes us like also self-examine, yeah, uh, that's, that's good. Well, I think one of the coolest parts too was like his happiness comes out of just kind of being able to like uh, accepting the good with where he is. Like, I think a lot of like the anger that this character seems to be like having is just like, Oh, I always expected something better for myself or I deserve something better. or I want something in the same way where I always have to sleep with a new person or, you know, my job should be better than it is. But it's like that. I love that scene where they're talking about the, like the top five jobs thing. It's like, would you actually rather be an architect? Yeah. You know, and what his top, the fifth top five job that they sort of figure out is that he wants to, own a record store, which yeah, is what yeah. he does. Yeah. Well, and, and it's the interesting thing, the listing and what you like. And there's this line where he says, what you like is more important than what you are like. Mm-hmm. And that's like the theme of this movie because it's, it's more important what you are like than what you like. And I, that's, I think that's what he gets to. If you've ever done internet dating, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> you better just like neutral milk hotel. <laughs> it's a good band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. You guys should go for a drink. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let's wrap it up. Let's go around and ask whether it was you watch old jam. What do you think? Yeah, I, I really like this movie. I think, yeah, it's a great movie. And I'll, I also should mention that I think it's the t- same team of writers that John Cusack wrote with on Gross Point Blank. It is, yeah. Which is another yeah. one of my favorites. Oh, that's uh, good too. I like that team. And again, Stephen Frears like, came in and, and it was a, you know, a British director doing a British novel, but somehow it also feels distinctly American yeah. um, in a lot of ways. Mm. They, Did you guys read the novel? I mean, you read the novel. Yeah. <laughs> you said that so dismissively. <laughs> you said you had like 40 copies. Yeah, but I had three. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, actually, I have the book. I've never read it. I've been meaning to. Um, I thought it was pretty good. But it's also yeah. like, it's very similar to the movie in a lot of ways, except for the Britishness. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, like comparing it to About a Boy, which is also a Nick Hornby novel. Very different movie than this. Is there like a British version of High Fidelity? Because there's like a British version of Fever Pitch oh, yeah. and an American version of Fever Pitch with like Jimmy Kimmel. No, <laughs> Jimmy Fallon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One of the with Jimmy's. Jimmy. Yeah, yeah for sure. Jimmy and Jimmy Oliver. <laughs> what about you, Graham? Did you find it rewatchable? Yeah, I did. I think that, like, again, that same way where it's very much was one of my, like, young men movies. So I, it was nice to know that, like, that I, I still find it kind of as endearing as I did just for, kind of, for different reasons at this point in my life. Though I do think trying to get, like, a girlfriend to watch it, like, <laughs> yeah, this idea. is it, babe. This is, you gotta, is, uh, it's like, this fight club. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was just, yeah. <laughs> That's like the part you don't reveal about yourself. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I definitely rewatch it again. I, I would not try to make a partner watch it. And after this, we're doing a Cassavetes marathon. <laughs> hey, what about you, Blaine? I thought it was rewatchable. I thought it was kind of like a complex movie that had some flaws, but it's 
I don't know. I think it's good to wrestle with things that you see on screen. And, and this has a few of those that are easy to wrestle with. So yeah, I'd say, I'd say it's a great movie. What about you, Rob? Take yeah, I think it's rewatchable. It has great music. The performances are really great. And I think it is like, I think it's a realistic sort of picture of a young person's relationships, or I guess like younger person's right. relationships. There's no old people relationships. <laughs> Tim Robbins is kind of old. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't talk enough about him, man. Yeah, that's- He's Funny pretty Ian guy. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he should be given his own spinoff movie, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking Ian guy. <laughs> Starring Tim Robbins. <laughs> yeah, give him like a show. Give him a Netflix show. Yeah, yeah like Joey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen this movie like a billion times because it is really rewatchable. And I did see more of some more in it this time that I hadn't seen before. Like I even think like the last time I watched it, which was maybe two or three years ago, I don't think I was as critical as uh, of Rob's decisions. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds weird to say, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. we're glad we're saying it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's High Fidelity. We're rewatchability. This is Graham Isidore. Where can the people hear about you? Or check uh, you out? The internet. Uh, yeah. I'm on Twitter at Press Gang. Yeah, guys, uh, just before we totally wrap up, this is a really fun podcast to do and it's a fun podcast thanks. to listen to. I'm, I'm really happy you guys have the new digs here. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Oh, thanks, thanks for coming man. on. Yeah, yeah thanks awesome. so much. Yeah. And you We've can never check had out. a guest plug us before. Yeah. Very, Usually nice. people leave in a huff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys can find them at rewatchability. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're at rewatchability.com. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter. You can like us on Facebook. We'd like to thank our sponsors again, Andy Mattress and HelloFresh. And of course, our Patreons. Thank you for donating. And if you want to donate, that's at patreon.com slash rewatchability and quickly before we go top five breakups Blaine <laughs> uh, this podcast bye guys mm, yeah <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.